pockets of human warfare with its impregnable front furrowed and crowned with the marks of war. To General Sherman and the Army of the Union, the Atlantic campaign, speaking in military technology, was offensive. To Johnston and the rebels, it was defensive-offensive. With both, it was a magnificent exhibition of the grand tactics of the art of war. In the great strategic combinations which had already taken shape in the far-seeing mind of General Sherman, this campaign was but an incident in the scheme. To Johnston, driven to the defensive, the series of operations embraced in his retreat from Chattanooga to Atlanta were tactical and not strategical. It may be said, then, that in itself the Atlantic campaign belongs to the art of grand tactics. It is essential to make this definition clear at the outset, because the subsequent operations of Sherman, including the pursuit of Hood's army and the campaigns of Georgia and the Carolinas, belong to the higher art in the conduct of war, that of grand strategy. The months of August and September 1864 passed in quiet while the army rested at Atlanta, varied only by drills, dress parades, reviews, and the usual phases of camp life and duties. With the exception of temporary interruptions, the line of communication with Chattanooga was sustained, and the military world was astonished by some of the most remarkable quartermaster and commissariat feats ever known in the history of war. Here was a vast and hungry army of more than 70,000 men, supplied not only for their daily wants, but with a surplus sufficient to provide rich and valuable stores of provisions at secondary bases. These supplies were forwarded over a line of railroad passing for 400 miles through an enemy's country. This prodigious effort, which military men will appreciate better than others, will be a proud record for those to whom its inception and success are due. General Meigs, General Easton, Colonel Beckwith, and the various officers engaged under their command. The importance of the prudent foresight of General Sherman in establishing these secondary bases will be better understood at a later period of this narrative. While affairs were thus satisfactory, and even enjoyable, in the Union lines, and the Federal soldiers, far away from their starting point, and in the center of a hostile country, were provided with every necessity of life and many luxuries, Discouragement and discontent prevailed in the rebel camp and councils. With singular fatuity, the rebel leader who had usurped the title of president displaced General Johnston, who had the confidence of the southern army and the people, appointing to his command a headstrong and impetuous officer who was at once obnoxious and imprudent. With equally inexplicable willfulness, Jefferson Davis continued his support of Hood even when fully informed of the distrust with which he was viewed. Moreover, Davis made a personal visit to Georgia, and at Savannah, Macon, and Augusta made foolish speeches, in which he prayed a little, threatened much, and promised more. Taking up the order of events and the grand campaigns, I shall draw liberally upon the notes entered in my diary. These memoranda were written during the midday rest of the army, on fences and stumps by the wayside, by the light of the campfires, in the night's bivouac, in cities or towns at which we halted, 
wherever or whenever a moment's release from pressing official duties afforded leisure to jot down the fleeting impressions of our long and wonderful march. Atlanta, September 16th. Today, our Master of Transportation sent the following dispatch to Colonel Warner of General Sherman's staff in reply to an inquiry. We have made the arrangements to send a train to Rough and Ready tomorrow at 11 o'clock, which will transport several hundred of the citizens going south, but we will send you down on a locomotive at once, if it is your order. A flag of truce was pending between the opposing armies, and Colonel Warner was in charge of it on our side. An important question relative to the exchange of prisoners needed to be settled at once. So the order was given, and a few moments Soros mounted upon the engine and rattling away over the...